Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. This episode is the first of four special EG Property Podcasts that take a look at the lessons learned after the forced changes we've all had to make during the coronavirus pandemic. I'm joined in a discussion that begins with tech but inevitably keeps bringing us back to people by Max Bangston, Head of Marketing at Lantech, Beth McArdle, a partner at Shoesmiths, and Sophie Moffat, Head of Research at Cluttons. Over the next 30 minutes, we talk about how adoption of tech and adaptation to a digital world has shaped not just property, but people too. We talk about the key lessons that real estate has taken from the pandemic and some of the lessons we think it might, but hope won't forget. And we do our very best to deliver some happily ever afters for this particular tale of the unexpected. So, you know what to do. Sit back with your cuppa, lace up your trainers for a little outdoor time with your obviously favourite podcast, or however else you like to consume your regular EG Owl treat. And enjoy. The unexpected happened this year. The world shut down, physical human interaction stopped and we had to go digital. For many in in the built environment, digital transformation was already taking place, but it was being led by the innovators. Since March, everyone has had to innovate and digitise. They've needed to do so at speed or they have faced the consequences. So in this podcast, I am joined by three guests to discuss how this unexpected year has delivered real change. So, so you understand who is here chatting with me, Sam McClary, today. Uh, I'm going to pass over to each of our, I was going to say contestants, that's not right, each of our panellists, but maybe it is a competition, uh, each of our panellists to introduce (laughs) themselves and give us their view on how they think the real estate industry has reacted um, to the COVID pandemic. So I'm first going to pass to Max. Introduce yourselves and tell us how you think the real estate market has reacted. So, hey, uh, name is Max Bankson, head of marketing over at Lantech, prop tech uh, company here in the UK, focused on helping developers find uh, new development opportunities and uh, get them to actually turn into developments. Uh, We saw a lot of people initially trying to figure out how they can cut a lot of cost, you know, kind of panically trying to figure out, okay, what can we do here if the worst happens? Very, very quickly, I'd say already in June, people started to change that behavior into how can we actually adapt to this? There seems to be a lot of opportunities, like all big changes in real estate, opportunities for opening up. And we saw a lot of change in their uh, attitude to how can we actually do more with tech? And how can we uh, start introducing it in in other parts of our business? So uh, that initial shock for sure, uh, but then quickly trying to adapt is what we've seen. Fantastic. So initial cut costs and then try and find ways to capitalise on the opportunity. So we'll definitely come back to talk about that. Um, But next to introduce um, themselves, I'm going to pass over to Beth. Beth. Hi, uh, my name is Beth McArdle. I'm a partner at Shoesmith. Um, I lead a corporate occupier team in Birmingham, so deal predominantly with retailers. Um, so for our same thing as Max, really, it was I think it was a bit of blind panic at first, um, then quickly followed, I think, by the realisation that technology was probably further on than they had thought it might be. Um, but there was definitely a need of knowing what others were doing. So for us, it was um, sort of webexes and webinars and seminars became very very important in a way that perhaps they hadn't before 
together with a different way of communication, which wasn't, you know, conference calls and emails anymore, but Zoom and Teams and, and, and everything else. So a real, real change in behaviours in a very, very short space of time. So a real need for sort of education there as a, as a reaction. Absolutely. And, and I think an, an acknowledgement that you're able to do these things that perhaps wouldn't become that weren't so natural back in January and February of this year. Fantastic. Thanks both. And last but by no means least, Sophie. Hi, so I'm Sophie, as you mentioned, Head of um, Research at Cluttons, which is a property consultancy. Um, you know, to answer the question about real estate's reaction to the pandemic, I say it's that continuing realisation that it's not just about real estate as uh, as such, but about the investors who want to invest in it and the businesses who and people who who use it, because at the end of the day, real estate is a function of the people who who need or want it. And really what we've been seeing is, you know, uncertainty and muted investment into real estate at the moment. I think sovereign wealth funds still spend a lot on real estate, about 4.4 billion worldwide last year, but, but it's 65% down on, on, on the year before. Um, we had the FT release a kind of list of 100 winners from the current pandemic. And when you look at real estate, it seems to be all about um, industrial and actually people who own and operate digital assets um, mm. and less about kind of offices and retail at the moment and I'm sure there's a lot we can discuss about kind of all of those all of those sectors and the people who, who use those segments of real estate. Absolutely and we'll definitely talk about winners winners and losers I always have a conversation about who, get, who gets it right and who gets it gets it wrong and I guess I want to I want to um, sort of talk a little bit about the, the title of this this um, series of podcasts we're doing is tales of tales of the unexpected and and what happened um, in in March and how the world shut down so so quickly was of course unexpected but I wonder if the the need for us to transform and the need for us to digitize and utilize tech was was unexpected. Um, you know, I, I talked at the at the beginning there about um, you know there was change already taking place, but it was sort of being led by the the outliers, I suppose. Were were enough people looking to those those um, innovators at the beginning and, and starting to really understand the vitalness of digital transformation, or did it really take this pandemic to to force that action? Uh, Beth. Um, well, I can only speaking on a personal level. Um, we or my clients were quite lucky and clients within Shoesmiths because we had already started to move to a very transparent relationship, which was all online, um, which gave them the ability to sort of see 24-7 what's going on with their files, matters, access to all of their deeds, etc. Um, I don't think they quite necessarily appreciated the value of it until the lockdown happened and then all of a sudden no access to offices, no access to their own notes or their own paperwork and they were still able to function quite quickly because we had it all on the site for the critical matters. Um, and, you know, we're very lucky to have that. My concern would be sort of those that are with law firms that don't have those technologies to offer to clients. And that must have been very, very difficult for both them and the clients to move into this new world very quickly. Mm, thank you. Sophie? Yeah, yeah. So from from our perspective, I think the 
pandemic has pushed, you know, not just companies in the real estate in industry, but societies to this kind of inflection point where um, embracing technology isn't really an option, but it's become a necessity. And obviously those companies that that had a an effective or ambitious digital strategy in place, which probably wasn't that many when you think that most companies mm. are very kind of small and medium enterprises in the UK. But those companies that did have a, a digital strategy will have fared better. The same as the local authorities and, and the countries globally that had digital infrastructure and a digital strategy. They they went further than than the rest, but potentially that even the kind of leaders in the industry and in tech hadn't gone far enough. I know the Harvard Business Review I saw a few weeks ago had had done a survey of um, kind of executives, even kind of in high tech companies. And um, I think more than half of them said that the pandemic is causing them to significantly change most aspects of their IT environment. And these are these are the leaders. So even they had to be mm. agile and open to faster and greater change than had been expected. So we've definitely accelerated everything and pushed things to the point of necessity rather than nice to have. Mm. Excellent thanks. Max is is that something you, you'd agree with? Acceleration 100%. and necessity? 100% and I can I'm happy to admit that uh, even as a tech company you know we we realized there was a lot of our processes and workflows that could be massively improved and weren't ready for true digital and remote working you know, uh, trying to convert every human interaction into a Zoom meeting just takes too much time, right? Starting to work more asynchronously and things like that has been a, a massive game changer. What I found is interesting, though, is, of course, people who were prepared fared better. That, that's pretty uh, obvious to some degree. But what we found really interesting was those who weren't prepared at all, when forced to actually make the change because they didn't have an option, actually managed to make that change quicker than you'd expect. Uh, old, very big enterprise companies who, uh, when they had to do this day by day, and they every day had to change the behavior, they actually were able to adopt new ways of doing things. So I think that's quite interesting, that it's not just the ones who were ready. There was almost everyone who's still around had, yeah. had to change. I think that shows that there's quite a lot about this that isn't, it's not just about tech, it's about the combination of tech, people, the structure of companies. So companies that necessarily didn't didn't have ambitious tech strategies or weren't moving very quickly before, maybe they have a brilliant people or a brilliant kind of ambitious culture that enabled them to move quickly, or maybe it was just desperation. <laughs> Who knows, but it's nice to think that um, if your company is a good company with a positive, ambitious culture, it can change fast when it needs to, even if the, the odds are against it. And don't you think there's an element of that there's much more tech out there than we probably realised that there were that there were until this happened? You know, yeah. there, there's platforms that we didn't know existed until this happened. And it, it was quite amazing how quickly those were adopted um, and taken on. Yeah, definitely. 100%. You don't do your homework until then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think you, you use the word desperation there, Sophie, and I think desperation is a great motivator, isn't it? If we're if um if you're between a rock and a hard place, you find a way to to get out of it. And 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 those those platforms that we didn't know were out there, we we weren't looking for. You know, I just think about the way that I 
I interacted with my my mother, you know, with, suddenly I got her on a video call, which she, you know, OK, it was mainly up her nose. But uh, <laughs> um, but at least, she, you know, she was using that as a way to to check in. So, you know, how we behave in our sort of our personal um, communications does filter through into into business as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think so. And yeah, and yeah, because we talked about companies and cultures, but not to discredit the kind of tech companies that have been mm. quietly or in some way ignored in trying to make things better because they'd been developing for, you know, the last decade or, or more or all of these kind of innovative products. Those products were there when we needed them, thanks to, to them continuing on, even though maybe there wasn't as much consumer demand at the time when, when their products were in development. Thank, thank you. And, and Sophie, you talked at the, at the beginning in your intro about the um, the sort of the winners, the the hundred winners um, from this. And um, while I, I won't be mean and ask anyone to name names unless you really want to, uh, um, it'd be great to have a a chat through who we think has has done really well at adapting and. Um, accelerating and who's got it who's got the sort of behave the new behaviors in terms of um digital and, and data right and who is who is lagging lagging behind um max i'll start with you on that one could you just quickly repeat the question sorry so so who's a winner and who's a loser in terms of uh of adapting uh, uh. <laughs> oh okay okay uh, well even though i said that the big corporations are have been quite good at adapting at least when it comes to talking to us and rolling it out across their whole uh, business the small ones for sure you know they're the two-man bands the developers who do a couple of developments maybe a year at most they have been real winners because they've been able to take everything so quickly digital and they were almost already there as well and they're now picking up uh, opportunities that they never had a chance to pick up on before because everyone else had the manpower to compete with them in a way that they don't have anymore. You can't have boots on the ground everywhere. So definitely seeing the smaller companies who have adopted tech definitely be winners in all of this, at least based on our research. And do you think that is because they're more fleet of foot, they're able to sort of pivot quicker than a, a, a giant tanker perhaps? Definitely. Uh, I mean, if you desperation, like we said, it works very well, but it still takes longer for a long business, for a big business. You know, has to go through a couple of extra steps, have to get approved by several branches, perhaps. But if you're a two man band and you have your partners that you trust and if they're also small and able to uh, adapt to the tech you introduce, uh, then you're able to uh, be really successful really quickly. Fantastic. Thanks, Max. And Beth, I'd be really keen to to hear your insight as you as you are, um, as you mentioned, working um, working with the with the in the retail sector, and we've seen all sorts of winners and losers in 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 that sector. Some who have been super quick to to react um, and and build businesses where there might not have been a business before, and and others who maybe haven't. Yeah, I mean, uh, those that have me talk about retail, which I absolutely love, get really bored of it. But um, I think retails are really retailers are really innovative, the, the good ones, um, and they will change the way that they offer their products and the client experience that goes with that. Um, from something as small as a uh, one of the hair 
uh, companies had done a shampoo that was designed to help your hair not have split ends during lock-in which I thought was very very clever mm-hmm. um, so a very very random example but I think f- for me in my field the ones that have adapted and have used probably I think the ones that have been very successful have had the platforms already in place and then very quickly have changed their marketing and their messaging um, around and what's really interesting as well is that the the type of stock that some retailers have been selling historically, you know, for example, formal wear and now going into sort of posh leisure wear. It, it's really, really interesting to see those that are, again, fleet of foot and using the technology they've got in place. But then also interesting, you've got other retailers who are giants of a retailer that have no online offering um, and are still refusing to have one even after the pandemic and the lockdowns um, because they think it would it would be less for them to do that. Um, so it's it's a really interesting market, the different approaches with retail. Um, and there have been some casualties of war um, as well, which we were all sort of acknowledging. But I think the ones that are progressive in both their technology, but also their approach are the ones that will survive this well. Fantastic. Thank you. Sophie? Yeah, no, I, I think I completely agree with that. And it's really interesting on kind of retail and the brand side of it and the retailers who have invested in lo- online and have an online presence, of, but also have invested in marketing and brand so that they can almost have a kind of emotional lasting connection with consumers during the lockdown. Obviously, they're going to fare a lot better than, you know, those retailers in the example who aren't and haven't been willing to have an, an online presence but I'd also add to that it, it is a people thing so I think mm-hmm. the companies that are winners are the companies um, that haven't forgotten about their people so at the beginning of the pandemic obviously kind of organizations were going 200 miles per hour to try to adjust and I think that it's been kind of quite widely reported the kind of burnout um, in teams and kind of levels of stress and fatigue have increased. So there's kind of a paradox that, you know, while many companies have gained new efficiencies from embracing digital transformation, you know, using Zoom to keep the workforce functioning, etc., a risk might now be some of them who aren't so engaged in their people losing some employees uh, I think that that was a number one risk on a recent survey I think it was by KPMG that losing staff is the biggest concern mm. for companies now so it's about aligning I think people with productivity and efficiency and making them buy into some kind of vision and there are really good examples of that like um, Airbnb for example, who obviously lost a lot of money and had to pay out compensation to hosts because no one could go on holiday. They went back to the drawing board, um, I read, and said, okay, what are our fundamental values that people like experiences and experiencing different places and that will come back? Um, And what's our opportunity here? Well, if people can work from home, they can stay in other places for extended periods. They came up with that vision. And then I think they got all of their teams to kind of write a team strategy or team level kind of buy into that holistic vision so that you almost see a network of ideas and people that's really important alongside the network of technology that's important to keep businesses going. And I just think people, brands, retailers, you know, traditional professional sector kind of um, employers who haven't forgotten their people mm. are the ones who've got it right and the remainder have um, maybe not getting it so right. I think that the, so what I'm hearing from this conversation is that um, sort of tech, tech isn't really about tech it's about connecting with people and and this year we've done that through through digital 
through digitization and and you know one of the questions that i was i was um going to ask us to try and answer through throughout this conversation was you know what are the what are the lessons that um the sectors learned about tech and and data but actually it's it's not that at all it's what lessons has the sector through tech and data learned about its people whether that's um employees or or customers yeah definitely i think yeah about people and about their own vision strategy and goals really because even when you don't look at companies and you look at um local authorities i, I was kind of talking to one of our um, mobile operator clients about you know the digital infrastructure in local towns that is was always important but is so so much more on the mm. radar now and um the local authorities i think about 10 percent of local authorities have audited um their assets or their sites to find places where digital infrastructure could be put or laid to help with connectivity in their, their local area 10 percent have done that that's that's not many so you have to imagine the vision and digital strategy of that local authority changing to suit the people in the neighborhood because everything does come down to people really whether you're a business council um mm. country whatever Beth, I, I can audibly hear you nodding along. I am audibly nodding along there. Yeah, <laughs> I really am. I, I think the um, sort of the challenges just, you know, with my team have been sort of the, ple the how pleased they are. Actually, our, I think our service desk have had less calls for IS problems they had when we were all in the office. So I don't mm -hmm. know how telling that is. But, um, you know, I, I can't believe what people have gone through when you look back over the last sort of nine ten months and I think where we were at the beginning of the year or this time last year at Christmas to where we are now um, I think it's been such a tough year um, and thank goodness for technology that it's allowed the world to keep turning in the way it has which hasn't been perfect but you know it, with everything in place it's been a lot better than it could have been had we been two or three years ago yeah it has still turned as you say yeah so, so uh, alongside understanding people and strategy and sort of really, I guess, focusing the mind a little bit, are there any other um, significant lessons that you think the sector has has taken away from um, the last uh, nine, nine, 12 months? Max, any, any thought from you? Well, the big one for me has been uh, UK is the prop tech capital of uh, of the world. You know, we have a great uh, scene for prop tech businesses. There's, like we said, lots of them here. A lot of us, us included, rely on access to government data, you know. And today, uh, the data is quite frightening. As more and more companies try to adapt prop tech tools, they're going to find uh, what the earlier adopters already found, that uh, the tools are only as good as the data they can get access to, you know. So a big lesson for, for we've seen is that people realize now when you have to do things at scale digitally, how much we need to change the access to that mm -hmm. data, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, we can't, man we can't manually source it anymore. Not if we're going to have an efficient industry. And we can't hold on to it. We have to, no. we have to make it accessible and, and shareable as well, I presume. Yeah, I mean, other countries, I'm not Swedish uh, myself and back home, the access to data is a lot greater. And it has helped uh, the property industry of Sweden, at least, uh, to be a lot more efficient, a lot faster and able to adapt and and um, make wiser, shall we say, property investment uh, decisions and so on. 
Fantastic. One of the one of the other words that um I talk a lot about through through many of the podcasts that we do on all sorts of different um subject matters, but there's always a um a C word that gets mentioned quite a quite a lot, and it's it it is the one you're thinking of. It is collaboration, which uh, I suppose is is just as important in our sort of digital and technology technological. That's hard to say. Transformation too. One hundred percent. Sophie, for you, any any other lessons that, that that you think the the sector has has taken away from from this current period in time? Yeah, yeah. So, so the sector and also kind of just the collective consciousness of people and society in general. I think um, we've been thinking and talking more, even if we don't call it this, about what I'd call the foundational economy. So the things that keep society going, but that you can't, you know, necessarily buy with your own private income so you know you can buy a smartphone but you can't buy a 4g network in rural cornwall to connect you um and so people seeing the working of society more like being a kind of collective provision um no one's safe unless kind of everyone's safe Mm. in a way and so i'm talking about you know the material infrastructure of pipes and cables which connect us to each other and the healthcare that keeps the citizens safe um in in the country and across various um cities villages towns i think from the moment people were um panic buying they realized you know if the food supply um the banking system the healthcare system fails there's going to be an immediate crisis and that a lot, lot of workers who, who are operating in these sectors that they're now calling them key workers and they're seeing that they're a bit kind of underpaid and undervalued and what I'd love is that if in real estate and just you know in the UK and in terms of in policy at large we didn't forget about that foundational economy as we emerge from the crisis. I really hope that too and I'm going to bring us back to um, what we do because I'm a pessimistic journalist I'm going to bring us back in a minute to what we expect that we will all forget about when things get back to normal but but for now just uh just going to pass um to Beth on on what other lessons you think that we will hopefully take away from this period of I think it's the challenge of keeping connected. You know, it's you sort of almost take it for granted when you're coming into an office every day and you sit at a desk near to people. Um, it's been a real challenge keeping people engaged and keeping people feeling part of a team, etc. Um, and I think it's so important to do that because I, albeit people have short memories and there might be some that return to the way they worked before this. I think a lot of people will work in a very different fashion. You know, I myself have bought a puppy, so I can't come to work in the office every day uh, because I've got other responsibilities at home. But I think, you know, for me, it's um, connection, um, which is Sophie's point as well. It's really important that we learn to stay connected and we learn to work in this new way and we don't let it go because albeit there's some struggles at the moment with mental health and well-being, which is because we've got so many things on our plate at once. I think when life returns to normal, whatever that normal is, um, this won't go away and we need to make sure that we keep working on it to improve how we connect with each other and technology will only go so far with that. Thanks, Beth. Um, I think um, one of one of my greatest fears that what we're going to forget when life goes back to normal is um, is our ability to be kind to people. And I yeah. think through technology, we have ev- things are more accessible. So I I can 
you know, you put in time to make a quick call or do a quick um, face to face with someone that might be on the other side of the, the world or somewhere inaccessible for you. But you remember that well, you, I can just show a bit of kindness through these solutions that I might not have had access to before. Um, so that would be that would be my starter for what we expect people to forget. Um, uh, which is, of course, is what a, a hard nosed, horrible journalist would say when everyone's going to go back to being nasty. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but I hope they don't. But that, that, that is where my my fear sits. Um, how about you, for, for you, Beth? What, what do you expect that we will forget about? I think I'm probably with you. I think the nasty one would probably be my my first choice. Um, and then I think with the other one, you know, I, I feel like I have a closer relationship with my clients, mostly because I now see them on WebEx at least sort of once a week or a few times a week with some of them, um, whereas before it was always phone calls. So my my worst case is that, you know, that development of relationships, not just with clients, but people in other teams within the office and other other um, firms that we work with in partnership on our clients you know I feel like the relationships have changed slightly you've seen people with their children and their dogs and uh, having you know the Amazon delivery man knock on the door and there's just been this sort of massive shift away and things that once were taboo and you would never admit that you were going to pick your child up from school and now normal life and I hope I hope that carries on I hope that you know that people have the freedom to do those things uh, with people comfortable that they're getting the service that they need or they're getting the time that they want from their people I, I really hope that continues it's interesting isn't it that tech has enabled us to be more human with each other absolutely mm. absolutely and who doesn't like seeing what somebody's living room or office or <laughs> kitchen looks like you we're know. all nosy aren't we we are very nosy very nosy I remember through the keyhole <laughs> best GP ever <laughs> Sophie for you what what are you um if if you, if I turn you into someone pessimistic, what what do you what are you expecting people to forget when we get back to normal? It, it's really hard to say. Do you know what? If I was going to make a really clever answer, I'd say people will forget um, about a lot because I just read a study from um, UCL and McGill University in Canada, and it said that you know because the day is so tedious and because levels of anxiety are a bit higher that people are really forgetting loads because we're not going out during the day so we're losing the cues that that create kind of anchors for memory so I think that this year is going to blur into one kind of big horrible um uh, set of circumstances which we can't really say anything that happened to us we won't have much to talk about really but even though that that it, we look back and it might seem unremarkable and that not much happened. I, I do hope that the changes are more deep than, than you know, the kind of relatively boring lives we're currently um, um, living. Um, and it, it, it's all about that collaboration. And we've heard for so many years when we come to kind of office design in particular, um, how we should design blended spaces. So sometimes at home, sometimes at work, sometimes in a co-working space, more spaces to collaborate, more spaces for people to generate ideas. People have been talking for that for so many years that it hasn't happened and it's really high on the agenda again. So I hope that, that I hope that we don't forget about that need to collaborate and need to come together and be able to communicate in more authentic ways rather than you know sitting at desks in in rows writing emails um I don't know I won't be pessimistic I don't think that 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 we'll forget 
anything that will make us worse off. I think we'll hold on to the fundamentals and constantly try and, and improve, whether it's our buildings or our relationships or our towns or our, you know, digital strategies or whatever. I, I think everyone will, and it should be their aim to hold on to something that that will help them improve, a lesson learned that will help them do better in the future. Well said, good positivity. Max, are you going to bring us down or are you, are you feeling no. I'm positive. I don't think people will be allowed to forget. We we have a tendency to forget the bad things, but we do remember the good things. And uh, that book, The Sapiens, a very mainstream book, I'm sure you all read it. But in Sapiens, the author talks about how our expectations on life are sticky uh, when they are good. So we quickly adapt to situation being better. So all the better things like ease of access to your business partner or your, you know, anyone you need to collaborate with to get a development finished, you're going to expect that ease of access to continue. You're going to ex uh, expect that kind of um, always on mentality to, to exist. And I don't think partners, clients or whatever you want to call it will um, allow people to forget, you know, and, and continue to provide that service. I think they might stop providing a service, but those companies won't be around for as long, mm. honestly. I think we've all changed how we view how we work as an industry with each other. What we do digitally, how much I can expect from someone, and what, of course, finally does get done uh, in person. I suppose because this has has gone on for, for so long, I, I think... Maybe it does. Maybe it does stick a little, little bit more, as you, as you say. If it had been, you know, lockdown one, and then life went back to normal, perhaps we would have forgotten and got back to normal more, more, more quickly than, than before. But um, perhaps now that this has become the new normal, and we have got used to engaging and with each other in different ways and using different technologies and strategies to get our get our our jobs done that that it sticks and that that um there is no there is no back to normal there is um this that gets better and better and and we can have human interaction again and and go to those terrible um um after work drinks um <laughs> dinners and have to you know air kiss and clink glasses and and all that sort of stuff that we probably groaned about but I, I know I did but actually quite miss going I'd, going I'd give anything to be putting on uh, a little black dress this month and a <laughs> pair of heels which I never thought I'd say so um... <laughs> Yes. Well, they will come back. I, they I, will. They, they will, will come back. We will, um, and then we will whinge about them again because we can't help, <laughs> our, help ourselves. But, but I guess to to round us round us off, um, I'm going to take us back to the tales of the unexpected, and this as a as a story. And whether you think there will be a uh, a happily ever after, and if there was a, and they all lived happily ever after to to this period in time, what would be the the one takeaway that you that you want um, want want us to to take from 2020 into 2021 and beyond. Uh, I'm going to start this time as I finished with him last time uh, with Max. So in an ideal world, we we start getting that hybrid working. You know that you have more flexibility to go to the office when uh, when it suits you and you're able to work from home effectively when that's uh, something that works better for you. I think, you know, hopefully we, we don't forget the benefits of being able to work remotely, you know, and we're not too keen to go back to normal uh, as it was before. 
so that and they live flexibly and remotely happily ever after for you i mean uh, i think for me flexibility allows people to work in a way that's good for them that works for them and we're all different right and no one person has the exact same way to work really effectively and and our roles are different as well right so that flexibility and understanding of flexibility and trust in your employees is going to be really key and i hope that's going to stick around fantastic thanks max uh sophie what's your happily ever after yeah it's funny because I, I also think that there's something kind of around um respect and trust so i talked about the foundational economy and the respect for the importance of uh, of the people and the kind of physical assets that keep society going that we have to work together to kind of pay for and achieve but also respect for things you know beyond technology like you know um, the cognitive skills that you need from your workforce that kind of increasing focus on um, social behavioral skills you know people who can actually recognize emotions really well and and those kind of skills that enhance teamwork if we put slightly more focus on kind of the joint outcomes the the respect for people's skills those type of skills so those more socio-behavioral skills and and show some respect towards those and if we manage to keep that up I think that would be brilliant because it takes the conversation away from just efficiency, productivity, agility to, again, kind of people, which I think we keep on coming back to through the whole of this um, this chat. Fantastic. Thanks, Sophie. Beth? Um, I think for me, it's carrying on being a little bit brave. I think um, this has really tested people in, in every sector to come out of their comfort zone um, to embrace change. Um, you know, before we started the podcast, we talked about the fact we've probably moved on three years in some respects in nine months on, on some parts of impact from, from all of this. And I just hope people continue to be brave, continue to push, um, continue to develop and don't don't stand still and just this become the next new norm. Um, no hope no pandemic ever happens again um, but equally I hope that we carry on pushing the tech and pushing people's lifestyle and well-being etc that would be my wish. I think those are, are three really great um, sort of principles to set ourselves going going forward to you know sort of understand the the power of flexibility and what it brings to, to people and businesses to always be respectful I think that is a is a given and is is so important but also to be to be brave to try new things to to push a little bit bit harder and you know if the if the other two are there as well with respect respect and flexibility then if we push a bit too hard and we get a little bit wrong it will all be okay because we'll we'll be respectful and we'll we'll flex and we'll pivot and we'll, we'll try something out but but keep pushing keep moving forward and 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 keep telling telling new stories and there will be more tales of unexpected to come not just through this podcast series of course but um through life in in general but but for now um thank you so much for for this conversation today to beth to sophie and to max Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive 
commercial real estate data. Thank you.